Let us arise again from our seats for our scripture reading. Our scripture reading today comes from Proverbs 14, verse 30. Please read along, for this is the word of the Lord. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, KSPC. Morning. Uh, college students, welcome back. I just want to say to you, uh, the grades that you're going to earn soon does not define you. Uh, what God declares you are defines you. Amen? Amen. We have a congregational meeting right afterwards. Uh, this was not something that I was going to announce until I found out that next year, our budgets for next year's ministries are determined by today. And so if you don't participate today and it doesn't go through, we have no money to operate off of next year. And so please, uh, if you are a member and baptized, please stay behind to contribute and serve to our church. And so with that said, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, in the short time allowed, uh, we proclaim that your word would effectively uh, reach our hearts, penetrate into our minds, and cause change, uh, uh, the most miraculous change ever, where you turn a bitter and sour soul into uh, a soul that delights and thanks you and has gratitude towards all that you've given. Uh, only the Holy Spirit can do that in this short time. So, Father, please work in your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was young, another story, um, I was in our street in front of our mobile home, and uh, uh, I had a fast racing car, uh, remote controlled, and that was a pride of my life for a while. And I raced kids in our street. Uh, there are two Korean brothers that I raced against. And one day we raced, uh, my car was a lot better. It bit, made it over the speed bump, and I, I won the race because they, their cars couldn't make it over. Um, one day they buy uh, upgrades. Really, really nice cars. They were flying all over. Uh, we raced uh, a, week, a week later, and uh, they, they were you know, going circles around my car, pushing it to the side. And uh, it wasn't the experience that was humiliating. It was uh, their expression. <laughs> it wasn't the car that was outperformed that I was envious about. Um, but envy was rotting my bone because it wasn't the car. It was a life experience. I felt... Uh, like what I owned. And um, we're going to look at a quick meme today. Sorry if this seems a little childish to you, uh, but the meme that, that I prepared, the picture, uh, basically says this. Imagine a drug that would make people instantly and insanely addicted to it when taken, but it has no other effects. You don't feel good. You don't feel bad. Nothing happens. It has no smell, taste, or co color. Slip into someone's water and they will forever be chasing a horrible hunger for something they will never know what it is. And they say that is the most evil thing that you can imagine. And I want to argue that that is exactly what Satan has done to us. Uh, there is an envy inside of us that causes us to never be satisfied and we're addicted to accomplishing whatever that is. And our only satisfaction comes from being one with God. But when we uh, became atheists, when our society became secular, we were disconnected from the one thing that makes us happy, and all of our lives we are chasing after things out of our envy for a complete state of existence. Now, the pursuit of this kind of unknown addiction drives the world economy because all the world has to say is, this is what you're looking for. Uh, the next diet product, the uh, perfect abs that you wanted, the, uh, you know, the perfect uh, house that you wanted. This is what you want. This is what you're chasing after. And after spending about 10 years pursuing that, you realize it's not what you wanted. This drives Satan's economy because all Satan has to say is, 
This is what you're looking for. And you sin after sin after sin, thinking that it will fulfill your envy, but it doesn't. Uh, much is at stake because if you are happy in Christ, it overcomes and it destroys the economy of Satan and the flesh. Much is at stake. So let's discuss number one, where does envy come from? Number two, what does it do to me? And number three, how do I overcome envy? Number one, envy comes from, repeat after me, a sense of insufficiency. Envy comes from a sense of insufficiency. Envy is a sense of dissatisfaction about who we are, about what I can do or what I have or what, what I do. Uh, envy starts in the Garden of Eden when the snake entices Eve. He doesn't point out who we are already in God, perfect image bearers of God in a perfect utopia. He doesn't mention that. And he says, he talks about who we are not. We are perfect images of God, but he leaves that out and he says, what you aren't, this is what you aren't, you aren't God. You aren't enough. And that creates within us a sense of deficiency and envy towards God's completeness. And so even in God's utopia, envy can enter into the world and it creates deficiency in a perfect world. That's what's so scary is that it makes you blind towards what you have. And this brings us to an important point about envy. It's subjective blindness. It's like a shade of glasses that filters out goodness or grace or satisfaction. Envy uh, comes from the Latin word invidia. And invidia means non-sight. Invidia, you can't see. And so in the Divine Comedy, Dante writes about the envious. And what's their, what's their punishment? The envious have their eyes sewn shut with lead and wire. They can't see. That's hell for us. That's hell for the envious. They can't see what is actually in front of them to be satisfied, and they are blind to their condition, who they are. So envy, in a sense, blinds you to the world and fills what you don't see with what, you, what your emptiness projects onto it. Do you get that? And so you see a perfect world, you see beautiful children, you see a wonderful house, and you close your eyes to that, and then your emptiness reaches out and says, these are imperfect kids, these are imperfect jobs, my boss sucks. That is NVIDIA, unableness, uh, inability to see. And what's so scary about envy is that when you're envious, everything can be objectively perfect, but your perception of that utopia could be hell. I saw this a lot of times in Nova and in San Jose. Imagine you're outside, crispy, perfect morning weather on a fine Saturday morning in Nova where a beautiful couple, a doctor and a software engineer, are standing in front of their a million-dollar piece of property and they're having wonderful coffee and they're fighting because it feels like they're missing something. Fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. Even in a perfect utopia, and Nova's pretty close, dissatisfaction has turned our utopia into hell because it blinds us from what we see in front of us. Not only is envy subjective, but because it is subjective, it means that your efforts to live a better life by getting that promotion or going on a cruise, a perfect vacation, or getting married to that perfect person will do nothing to take care of your problem. Like so many of young adults, 
they see the person that they're going to be married to as their Messiah. Like, if I get married, she or he will take care of all of my existential problems. And they get married, and it's only magnified. Like, it gets worse. Your single problems turn into couple problems now. Too many of you are keeping yourself from nodding because your spouse is next to you. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Changing reality by creating favorable circumstances and acquiring things does nothing to solve envy. In other words, external things cannot change your subjective blindness. So you'll try jobs, you'll try hobbies, you'll try relationships, and then you'll ask, is that all there is? That's the name of the song, by the way, Is That All There Is? Forgot who sang it. She looks at a, her house burning down in childhood, and she's like, is that all there is? She gets married, and she looks at her husband, and she's like, is that all there is to marriage? And she is afraid that even when she dies, she'll say, is that all there is to death? And she uh, calls death the final disappointment in her song. And that's what we're like. We're like pursuing things out of our blindness, like groping in the things of the world and saying, is that all there is? Is that all there is? The final disappointment. Finally disappointed. This is how C.S. Lewis puts it. Let's look at the picture. He says, in mere Christianity, and out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, and slavery. The long, horrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. That is what we call human history. You're not immune to this. Uh, let's look at the next slide. I want you to fill in this blank. If only I had this in addition to God, I would be happy. That's coming out of your subjective blindness. It's coming out of your dissatisfaction with God. You have to have something in addition to God that that is your actual idol. And I want you to fill that in. Like, I know your hearts want to be nice to yourself, and so you'll say, oh, I'm, I'm good with Christ. But track how you've used your hours the past week. Track how you use your money usually, and you'll see what fills in that blank. KCPC, if there is anything else you need besides God, then you will forever feel the deep emptiness of envy. And I pray that that will not be you. Amen? That will not be you. So what does envy do to us? Two things. Number one, envy keeps us and our eyes fixed upon only the next best thing, the next best thing. Envy by its nature is relative and competitive, and it requires a competitor. Uh, usually that competitor is right around you, right? Bertrand Russell, philosopher, says, beggars do not envy millionaires, though, of course, they will envy other beggars who are a little more successful. And that's where our envy comes from. We see a little better off people next to us in our soons, small groups, in our friendships, and that becomes a short-term goal. Here's the problem. You don't dream big enough. You don't see and look for perfection. You just look for the next best thing. And God says, look to me, not to the next best thing. In other words, envy keeps you from reaching higher. Uh, you are satisfied with the world. That's a big problem. 
Also, number two, envy in general, just a generic statement, envy makes you sin. Envy makes you sin. John Piper says, sin is merely what you do when your heart is dissatisfied with God. Sin is merely what you do when your heart is dissatisfied with God. When Adam and Eve felt a sense of envy towards God's self-sufficiency and his power and his beauty, their response was what? Sinning, reaching out and taking hold of the fruit because of emptiness and envy. James 3.16, let's look at the verse that I posted up there. For where envy and selfish ambition, that's what the translation I'm using right now, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Every evil practice. Sin comes from envy. Envy is the root of every evil practice. It's a sort of vacuum that attracts sinful thoughts and actions and desires because envy itself is emptiness. Envy is a sense of deficiency, not sufficiency, deficiency. Brothers and sisters, have you ever noticed that you sin when you are empty? Do you notice that? You sin when you are empty. When, you're, when you feel empty, many of you reach out not to God, but to your wife or your husband or to your, your friends to take God's place. But when you realize that he or she won't satisfy, you fight or you have an affair because of the insufficiency of your emptiness. You are crushing your spouse with your emptiness. He cannot satisfy. She cannot satisfy. When you're empty, you put children in God's place, but when they do not perform or turn out how you want, you abuse or manipulate your children into a college or into successful jobs. A lot of college students are like, internally, that's me, Pastor David. <laughs> We're crushing them with our emptiness. When you feel empty, you put your job in God's place and you develop a cutthroat mentality and competition at work because it's the only thing that justifies you and when you get fired, uh, it's close to losing your identity. Envy makes you sin and idolize. Every evil practice comes from envy or a sense of deficiency and dissatisfaction. So, how do we solve envy? Uh, can you predict the answer, anyone? This is an obvious pattern that I've been doing day one of my ministry all the way until now. How do you solve anything that's a problem? The fact that I'm not hearing a response worries me. Gospel. I said it every week until now. Gospel solves anger. Gospel solves envy, uh, uh, anxiety. Gospel solves, you know, what was shame. Gospel solves envy. Like, the pastors were talking because we recently did a baptism and confirmation class. And we asked people, what is the gospel? And we are a little worried because people don't know how to phrase the gospel. Like, they say good things that's mixed in with their philosophy, but they don't know what the gospel is. Let's just summarize it once and for all, because I'm a little actually earlier on time than I thought. The gospel is that you are accountable to a sovereign God who loved you and created you, 
And in your sinfulness, you fell from that God. You can never satisfy him, and you will never be satisfied in yourself. You won't be able to save yourself. Christ came and died so that if you believe in him, your sins are forgiven, and you will find reconnection with God. And if you believe in that, if you believe in Jesus for your salvation, then you have eternal life with God. That is the overall storyline that we're all looking for. And that, in every sense, cures anger and anxiety and envy, all these things that we're talking about. So how does it do that? Number one, if anxiety comes from dissatisfaction, and the only thing that can cure envy is a deep sense of satisfaction, as he just said. However, nothing in the world gives you that deep satisfaction. The world tells you that you aren't valued. Like Darwinian evolution tells you that you are worth as much as the weeds that are growing in your backyard. Like, where do you get the message that you're special? And I'm not talking about Sesame Street. Like, why are you special? Why are you valued? Only the gospel tells you that. Humanism presumes that, but it doesn't support it. All these empty philosophies and worldviews telling you that you are worth something doesn't have a foundation except for the gospel. The world doesn't say that your life has meaning or purpose or direction. Satan's first strategy, remember, was to create envy in a perfect world. He created envy in a perfect world. And that's driving you into slavery every single day. Your desires for that drug that you can never identify. So where do we get the satisfaction from? We have established where we don't get it from. It's not from the world. That's Satan's strategy, saying it's somewhere out there. Just go out there and achieve it. And for 60, 70 years, people run around the world, not accepting the gospel, but looking for something else. And then finally on their deathbeds, they say, I now realize that Christ is sufficient. May that not be you. May you accept the gospel from an early age. But that doesn't mean that satisfaction doesn't exist. C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity once again, a baby feels hunger. Well, that means that there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. And so if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, that drug, whatever that is, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You were made for existence in Christ and the kingdom of God, which we don't have right now. That's why you're so thirsty. And you have to understand that. What you're looking for is not in your grades and not in your success and your career or your job or your family. It's in a world that hasn't come yet, already but not yet. So what is the real thing, the real thing, the good stuff that our envy is pointing to? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, once again, which tells you what? You are really, really beloved and valuable. All of us are looking for justification. I tell you, I tell you, if a person has deep insight into who they are by the time they finish the, the night, 
uh, the, the day, and they're sleeping or they're, they're thinking to themselves and de- engaged in deep thought, they're asking themselves this question, what justifies my existence right now? Why did I work so hard to take care of my kids? Why did I work my butt off in my workplace? What is justifying all of this? Because you are seeking justification. And God alone, the gospel alone says, I created you with infinite worth and value. Anyone say amen to this? You're created with all that you need in Christ. You need to stop looking. You're beloved, you're valuable in Christ. I'm not saying this in a mushy or fuzzy way. This is a theological truth. That's why I said, college students, your grades do not define you. What the Word says about you must define you for your sake. Genesis 126, then God said, let us make man and woman in our image. After our likeness, you aren't mistakes. There was a master plan and a blueprint in mind when God created you. You were designed with dignity and the divine and godliness in mind in the image of God. Number two, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And I wish all of you had children later on to know what it's like to give up your son or your daughter. He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God paid Christ for you. You have to understand what that means. Value lies in the eyes of the beholder. Like, I will not pay more than $4 for an espresso in Starbucks because it's overrated. And some people pay more than that for coffee because value in some sense is subjective. When, when God says, I paid Christ for you in that interaction. That transaction proves something. You are worth Christ to God. You are worth his son to God. That's why in Korean we use the word, You are worth Christ to him. And that takes care of and kills envy. Like I was so envious of, you know, um, different spiritual traditions when I was young. I wanted to be charismatic. I wanted to be this. I wanted the gift of prophecy, all these things. And my parents looked at me, and they took me uh, upstairs. And they were like, David, do you see that kid with a, a, a red bicycle? Like, you're like a child who runs away from his home and his family to chase after that red bicycle because you're so envious of that. And that's what we look like. We have a heavenly father. We have the gospel that proves our worth. We have a loving invitation back into his presence. And here we are chasing after other things, abandoning all that God has prepared because we think it's out there somewhere. The gospel says, you are beloved and God paid Christ for you. What is there to envy? What is there to envy? Ephesians 1, 3, 5, 1, 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There's a group of ladies memorizing Ephesians 1 right now, and they come across this word, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and they're reciting it all the time. They're washing dishes. All the spiritual gifts in the heavenly places. 
They're watching after their kids, and they're th- the kids are throwing a tantrum. All the spiritual gifts in the heavenly places. That's what you have. And I wish I could make it more concrete for you. You are loved. God has a plan for you. God will save you. He will not let you starve. He will take care of you. He will fulfill the good work in you. All the thousands of promises in Scripture all belong to you. What are you envious about? You're going to forget all this. And then you're going to step outside and say, back to chasing after what I was chasing after. No. Please just carve these words into your heart. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, in Christ, not outside, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Ephesians 2, 5, 7. By grace you have been saved. We read it today. Um, so, it's so awesome how Pastor John just reads where I'm going to conclude the text. He just knows. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his, uh, uh, of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Immeasurable riches. What is there to envy? You see, what I said last week was really true. Pastoral ministry is so easy. All I have to do every week, I remind you of the gospel and what it does to you, who you are in the gospel, and that solves everything. You get that? Like, next time I ask you, how do you solve something, don't you dare give me another word apart from the gospel. There is no human strategy to combat this. All of our gifts and all of our weapons are from external, from on high, from God. God himself gives us a weapon to fight all of the battles necessary for our sanctification. And so don't you dare look into anything but the gospel for your solution. Justification and your salvation is in the gospel, yes, but it has the seed and the DNA to fight all the things that you are fighting with right now. It sanctifies you as well. And it prepares you for heaven. The gospel is all that you need. It is all that you need. It's too simple and you won't take it because you live in a sophisticated world doing sophisticated work. But I tell you again, the gospel is all that you need. The gospel doesn't ignore envy. It doesn't brush it off and just make us man up and deal with envy. Like, I love how some of the people said, Pastor David, I love that your sermons don't just end with, don't be angry, don't be anxious, don't be, like, don't be is not the thing that we're talking about right now. It means, understand the gospel, it's already been done, it's good news, not good advice, it's been accomplished, accept it, and let it work out its power in your lives, and therefore be free from anger, and be free from anxiety, and free from envy. Free. What does it finally do? The gospel turns your envy into a powerful craving for the kingdom of God. Amen? Like, what's the best restaurant in in, in Virginia? Anyone know? 
I need you to be confident, otherwise I won't believe you. You're not advertising well. Yes, somewhere in the back. Myunga? Myunga? Myunga, okay. Uh, he, he might be working there. <laughs> Myunga, okay. So here's the thing. Let's say you are ready for an awesome meal in Myunga, okay? An awesome meal there. Like, best kimbap ever, right? Uh, <laughs> I wonder if this is ethical. Like, <laughs> Anyways, best kimbap ever. And as you're preparing for that, let's say someone comes by and say, Hey, Pastor David, do you want some chocolate? Do you want some pretzels? No. Like, I am saving my craving for myunga. Like, I'm saving it because I will not let my craving and hunger be satisfied with, by something less than what I really want. And that is the concentration of a Christian who has reinterpreted their envy into craving for God's kingdom. That is the concentration. I will accept nothing but the gospel and the coming kingdom of God as my final comfort. I will accept nothing apart from God's kingdom for my desire for justice in the world. I will accept nothing but God's perfection for my desire for intimacy in the world. And marriage is just a reflection of it. And you don't stop until you reach God's kingdom. Because that's where it is the treasure that you're waiting for. Remember the odorless, side-effectless, addictive pill that we've talked about. The gospel uses that to sharpen your hunger and clarify your need for Jesus because all along, Jesus has been what you're looking for. He is what you're looking for. Uh, take it from 6,000 years of recorded human history. Jesus is what you're looking for. Look at the celebrities who commit suicide. Look at the billionaires who say they don't know what life is about. Look at the successful intellectuals who's, who end up in nihilistic, existentialist nihilism. Like, look at their story and find out that Christ is what they need. And if you could accept that in your middle school years, how satisfied of a life. Uh, you will destroy companies because uh, you won't need to buy anything from them because of your satisfaction in Christ. You can turn your back on Satan. I'm waiting for God's kingdom, not the cheap alternatives that you throw at me every single day. Pornography? Huh. Jesus. Like, like fake community? Jesus. Amen? Praise the King, come up. Happy Thanksgiving. Why? Why is this a happy Thanksgiving? Why? Uh, I'll explain why this coming Thursday uh, when we have our Thanksgiving ser worship service. Please come. Uh, Thanksgiving has something in it that is so powerful. But why Thanksgiving? Because even today, Christ can be everything for you. All you have to do is enjoy and savor that. Uh, raise your right hand. Repeat after me. This is me brainwashing you, okay? <laughs> I will thank the Lord, for he is all that I need. You said that in faith, right? Amen. All right, let's worship God together. <laughs>